Have you ever been underestimated? Academically, athletically, in the workplace, by friends, family, maybe even a total stranger? Have you ever had someone underestimate you? What's, what's our normal response when people underestimate us? What, what do we, what do we want to do? We want to prove them wrong, right? We want to prove our doubters wrong. That is the, the, the normal response when this happens. Why do they want to do that? Well, mainly for personal benefit, right? Because of pride to make someone look foolish, to, to prove oneself, to, to impress others. That's normally why we do that. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we're continuing our Easter sermon series that we started last week, looking at Luke's Easter story from Luke chapter 24. And today we are going to study a story unique to Luke about Jesus encountering two men on the road to a place called Emmaus on the day of his resurrection. And in this story, these men are not going to recognize Jesus at first when they, when they first encounter him. And they too are going to underestimate his great person and work. And Christ is going to correct them, but not for the reasons that we might choose, not out of pride, not for personal benefit, not to make his doubters look foolish. He is going to correct them for God's glory and for their own good. So if you're not there yet, get there. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be beginning in verse 13. In this passage, Luke shares three ways in which Jesus is underestimated, and he also explains how Jesus graciously corrects these individuals. Notice first, they question the person of Jesus. They question the person of Jesus. Look at chapter 24 of Luke, beginning in verse 13. That very day, now pause there for a moment, Think about where we've just been last week with the ladies at the empty tomb, right? So it's on the day when Christ was raised. On that very day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, verse 17. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. 
Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Now let me recap where we are so far. These men are going to a village called Emmaus. Where is Emmaus? We don't really know. We know that it's seven miles in, in some direction from Jerusalem. We're reminded of the historicity of, of Luke's account here because if you're going to conjure up a resurrection myth, why would you include some unknowns headed to this small, seemingly insignificant place called Emmaus? I mean, you would include like Peter and John, right, in Jerusalem. But Luke includes these details because this is how it happened, all right? He's just reporting the, the events. This is how it went down. They're headed to this small village, and while they're walking, they're talking about all the things that have happened. What things? Well, consider the previous passages. They're talking about probably Jesus' death and certainly the empty tomb and the witnesses who saw and heard from angels that Jesus had risen. We know that's the case because they mention it in just a moment. So they're, they're chatting on the way to Emmaus about the rumors of the risen Christ, and while they're discussing those things, who shows up? The risen Christ. I love that. No one writes history better than God himself. Amen? While they're, they're walking, we're told he joins them, but their eyes are, are supernaturally kept from recognizing Jesus. And while they're walking, Jesus asks, what are you guys talking about? Now let's pause for a minute. Is it because Jesus doesn't know what they're talking about? What do you think? I think he knows. Right? He knows. He knew. He just wanted to keep that conversation going. You ever walked into a conversation two people are having and you kind of know what's going on and immediately they get quiet and uh, you tell them, don't mind me. What are you guys talking about? Sometimes you say that because you want to enter into that conversation, right? That's what Jesus is, is doing here. He says, don't let me stop you. Keep going. What are you talking about? Then the men respond in sadness, but also in shock. They can't believe this stranger had not heard this story. I mean, it's front page of the Jerusalem Times. That would be like me a year after 9-11, approaching a group of people talking about it and being like, what's that? 9-11, what, what are you talking about? You know, you'd be like, what, what rock have you been living under, right? That's how they respond to Jesus. One of the men named Cleopas says, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And Jesus responds with, What things? Again, not because he doesn't know, but because he wants to direct this conversation toward his person and work. And notice, these men openly express their doubts and their misunderstanding about the person of Jesus. He asks, what things? Cleopas says, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. It's the third day. These men 
are sad, they're depressed because they believe that Jesus has failed to meet their expectations. They, they still think highly of him. Notice they say, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. He's a great man. He's God's prophet, a, a faithful and skilled teacher who did great things for God. They had a high view of Jesus, but it fell short. How many of you know people in your life like this? High view of Jesus, but it falls short. He's a great moral teacher, a significant religious leader who was a great man before God, but that's it. That's where it stops. That's all he was. Not God, the Son, our substitute and perfect sacrifice, our Savior. Many people like that. That's where these people are right there, right here on the road to Emmaus. They say, oh, we had, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. We had hoped that he was God's Messiah, but we were mistaken. How awesome is it that they are saying these things before the concealed yet risen Lord? They're about to have their hair blown back. They're going to learn soon enough that Jesus is more than a carpenter's son from Nazareth. He is more than a prophet, mighty indeed. He is more than a great moral teacher. He is none other than the son of the living God, God the Son, God in the flesh, God's forever king and our risen Lord. Who in your life do you know needs correcting when it comes to Jesus? Maybe you know of someone who Claims to like Jesus, they're a fan of Jesus, speak highly of Jesus, but does not believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and are not trusting in the work that he came to accomplish. Who in your life needs to hear that Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh, who lived, died, rose again to restore us to a right relationship with God through repentance of sin and faith in Christ? Who in your life needs to hear that message. Maybe it's you. Maybe you're here and, and, and you are not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation. You don't know him as your only hope for salvation. You've not bowed the knee to him. You're not trusting if, in him. If, if this is you, I pray God does a great work in your heart and life this morning. Jesus is going to show these men in a moment who he is and I pray in both services we see it all of us as well notice these men not only question the person of Jesus but they also misunderstand the work of Jesus look at verse 21 again but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel this is where context is key Remember, many Jews in this day, they don't have the whole picture yet. They're still thinking like the majority of, of people when it comes to the work of the Messiah in this day. While the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah to come, they were expecting a conquering king like David who would overthrow Roman rule and establish a physical and earthly and, and present kingdom for Israel. One who would bring God's people together again in this earthly, physical kingdom under one rule. They were looking for the second coming of the Davidic 
kingdom on earth like it was in the Old Testament. They were not looking for Jesus and the work he came to accomplish. They were not looking for a savior who would lay his life down. They were not looking for a suffering servant, a sacrificial lamb, a priestly king who would offer up a perfect substitute and sacrifice for sin by laying his life down. Remember that? That was what Peter was thinking as well. When Jesus talked about his death, Peter rebuked him. He took him aside and he rebuked him. He said, no, 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 no. Not you, Jesus. Peter saw no benefit in a crucified king. Same is true of these men. They misunderstood the work that God sent Christ to accomplish. They, they, they set their hopes on a work, by the way, that falls short of the work Jesus came to do. Get this, they were hoping for freedom from political oppression. Jesus' work provides freedom from sin and judgment. They, they longed for a restoration of an earthly kingdom. Jesus ushered in a heavenly one. They were longing for the defeat of a Roman empire. Jesus conquered sin and death with his death and resurrection. Greater work. Their expectations of the work of the Messiah fell far short of the work he actually accomplished. And we too can be guilty of this. Many are looking to Jesus today and following him for earthly and temporal blessings in the here and now instead of heavenly, eternal blessings in the then and there. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the Lord and ask him for needs that we have today. We should, but what I'm saying is we should not simply look to Jesus and trust in him for health and wealth and happiness in the here and now, but trust in him for spiritual life, eternal riches, and lasting joy for all eternity. That's what he came to bring. That's what he accomplished. That's what he gives to all who trust in him alone for salvation. And these men, they, they miss it at first. But praise be to God, they're going to be set straight before this encounter is over. Notice what else. Not only do they question the person of Jesus and misunderstand the work of Jesus, but they also doubt the resurrection of Jesus. Look at verse 22. They say to Jesus, Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it is just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Now some of you read this and you're like, well, we're, we're not told here they, they doubted. So how do, we, how do we know they didn't believe these women? few reasons one the previous passage you got to look at the whole passage right in the previous passage we see that they still believe that Jesus is dead right look at verse 20 they say our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him they believe him to be dead so we, we see it there they they said this after the women had reported the missing body and had an encounter with 
angels saying they had seen the risen Christ. Also, the very fact, we talked about this last week, but the very fact that they returned to the tomb showed that they doubted. The, the angel questioned the women when they came to the empty tomb. Why are you here, basically? Why do you seek the living among the dead? That's, that's a good point. We said this last week, if I'm going to go see Kevin, I'm not going to go to a cemetery because that's the place of the dead. I'm going to go to the place of the living to go see him. I'm going to go to his home, right? That's, that's what they're asking here. So the, the, the fact that they return to the burial spot again and again shows that they doubted. The next piece of evidence we have that proves that they doubted the resurrection is because Jesus rebukes them for their unbelief. Look at verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So, so Christ rebukes them for their unbelief. Now I want you to see this here, like I showed you last week. These men, like the women who visited Christ's tomb on the same day, they were not looking for a resurrection. They did not wake up that morning hoping that Jesus would be alive again. They were expecting the body to still be in the tomb. Many criticized first century Jews, arguing they were not as sophisticated and as knowledgeable and as educated as we are today. They were superstitious and hypersensitive to the supernatural. They expected miracles to happen all the time. They were looking for resurrections around every corner. That's not the case at all. Even when witnessing the empty tomb and hearing the report from the women of angels, these men refused to believe. And Christ rebukes them for it. Notice his rebuke is similar to the one that the angels dish out to the, the women in the passage we looked at last week. The angels told the women who were shocked at the news of Christ's resurrection, they said, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Jesus told you this. And here Jesus tells these men, God told you this all throughout the Old Testament. They had missed this. God had been speaking about this all along through Moses and his prophets of his people's need of this great work that his great Messiah was coming to accomplish. He says in verse 26, Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? I, I love this. Jesus is saying here, redemption for Israel? That's what you're upset about? You guys need a greater work than that. You're not just in bondage to the Romans. You're enslaved to sin. You are powerless and oppressed in a helpless and hopeless state because of the hardness of your own heart. Had I not come to suffer and die and rise again and enter back into glory, you would be sunk. Great application for us here, folks. Might I remind you, you can have all the success and all earthly treasures this world has to offer, and without Christ, you're sunk. You're sunk. Had Christ not come, we all, no matter our status, no matter our earthly riches, no matter our successes, we would all be in a helpless and hopeless state. Jesus graciously lets these men 
know that. He lets them know this work that I have accomplished in my suffering and death and resurrection, it's necessary. It's the only hope that you have of rescue from sin and restoration to God. After he says that, notice he schools these guys, taking them through the scriptures and interpreting all the things concerning himself from the scriptures. And where does he take them? To Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Ephesians, Colossians. Say no. None of those were written yet. Look at verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself is Jesus in the Old Testament say yes can we learn of his person and work in the Old Testament say yes is God's gospel message in the Old Testament say yes say yes joy I can hear you all the Bible points to Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are in Scripture, you need to be looking for Him when you're reading it. That's why I love the storybook Bibles we have in our, in our bookstore. They, they teach our kids from a young age that every story whispers His name. It's all about Jesus. I used to do this with, with our girls when we would read through those storybook Bibles. We would go like this. We would say, Jesus is all through the Bible. Do it with me. Humor me. Jesus is all through the Bible. You better believe it. He is. Listen now, Timothy Keller puts it. He says, Jesus is the true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is imputed to us. Jesus is the true and better Abel, who, though innocently slain, has blood now that cries out, not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. Jesus is the true and better Isaac who was not just offered up by his father on the mount but was truly sacrificed for us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we like Jacob only receive grace. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his power to save them. Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. Jesus is the true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. Jesus is the true and better Esther who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace but lost the ultimate and heavenly one who didn't just risk his life but gave his life in order to save his people. Jesus is the true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we can be brought in. Jesus is the real rock of Moses, the real Passover lamb. He's the true temple. He's the true prophet, priest, king, true sacrifice, true lamb, true light, true bread. It's all about him. It's all about him. That's what Jesus shows these men. It's all about me. He shows them all throughout 
the Old Testament from Moses to the prophets. God tells of and illustrates the fact that man is in need of rescue from sin and he promises that he is sending a rescuer. He is sending his Messiah to accomplish salvation through his life, death, and resurrection. All right, back to the story. We learn in the story, even after all of this instruction, they're still kept from seeing Jesus. They apparently now just view this man as a skilled Bible teacher. They will uh, mention in just a moment how their, how their hearts burned when he instructed them. And uh, they also allow for him to, to break bread during dinner, which would have not normally been the case for a stranger invited to dinner in the home. They know he's significant. They don't know yet that he is Jesus, the risen Lord. Look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He, that's Jesus, acted as if he was going farther. Now, he's not being deceitful here. He knows this conversation is going to continue over dinner, but it would have been rude at this time to assume or even invite yourself in, so he waits for the invitation, verse 29. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Wow, can you imagine? That's amazing. Now listen, I believe it is significant that they recognized Jesus, they put two and two together when he broke bread at dinner. It's mentioned twice in this text that they recognize him when he breaks bread. Remember, Christ told his disciples before his death that they were to take communion and the breaking of the bread was to remind them that he was with them, that he lived for them, and that his body was broken for them. At the end of service last week, we took communion and we took the bread and we remembered Christ's person is work and work as well. I don't believe it's by, by accident that after teaching them of the significance of him being with them and laying down his life for them, it is in the breaking of bread that results in them seeing Christ and understanding this work. Because again, they're going to say at the very end, he was known to them through the breaking of bread. When things are repeated in Scripture, that shows you it's important. All right? Verse 32, look at it. They said to each other, this is after he vanished out of sight, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, just like the ladies after seeing the empty tomb and hearing of the risen Lord from angels. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, same sort of situation as the ladies, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 
So they, like the, the, the women in the previous passage, they go to the eleven and the others and they say to them, the Lord has surely risen. He's already appeared to, to Peter. Peter had already seen him. We learn about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. Luke just mentions it in passing here through these men. And we're going to see next week that as they're reporting this story, Jesus is going to show up in the midst of the disciples. Super exciting, great passage. Eventually, all of them will see him and make this message known to us in God's word. And again, like I said last week, the question for us is the same as it was for the men on the road to Emmaus and the disciples in Jerusalem and the women at the empty tomb. Do you believe it? Do you believe that Christ came, that he lived, died, and rose again? Do you understand why it was necessary for Christ to suffer and die and rise and enter back into glory in order for you to be rescued from sin and death and restored to God? Do you believe that he has accomplished this work? And are you personally trusting in Christ alone for your salvation? I pray you would today. If you are not, I pray you would forsake your sin. Make God's Son your Lord today and be saved. Let's pray together.